thanks for tuning in to this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We're a church that exists to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to make others great. We hope you encounter Jesus today while you listen to this message. Have an amazing day. Um, welcome, Antioch Church. Good morning. Uh, yeah, good to see you all. Actually, it's not all you all. We have a, put together a small studio audience, but I got to tell you, it gives me joy to even see some of you. I've missed all of you. Um, I'm believing for a really great time in our church, and I'm experiencing a really great time in our church. So I hope everybody just continues to push into that as we continue to adjust. Um, I think we're seeing God move in terrific ways. So that's been really fun, and I'm still and remain very, very excited. But we're going to continue in our message on the Bible that I think just could not have been more perfectly timed than what we're seeing right now. And so Andrew last week started us off. This is going to be the second week in the Bible series, and we're pumped about it. And it did feel like God went about six weeks ahead of us and said, during this time, you'll be focused on my word. And so how cool is that, right? So, And we've seen that out of our other circles, we got to push into personal devotion. So there's nothing more appropriate than what we're going to talk about today. So... Um, please take out something even more so here and at home to take notes. We're a, Bible, we're a note-taking church. So please take something out because God's always got something for us to take away from. So as I grew in discipling men, I instituted a rule that I still carry out to this day. And that rule is that after a certain amount of time of meeting with someone, I will say to that person, if you are not meeting with God on your own, if you're not reading your Bible, then we just can't meet together anymore. And I say to each man, you came to me and you were asking me and wanting my input into your life, into your business, into your family, into your relationship with God. And I was very clear at the time that we started that the number one impact, the number one in my life is my time with God and my time spent encountering the scriptures. And I have to ask you then, if after six months you're still not doing that, and then you don't want my number one, then why do you want my number two, three, and four? And I know that could sound harsh, but I can tell you honestly, it has never resulted in the end of a relationship. It's never offended anybody. Every time that I've had to say that, the men that I said it to knew that it actually made sense. And still, many of them walked away and never established a personal time with God or with God through the Bible. In my journey, I will contend, I believe that I have run smack dab into the why. Why we so often choose not to spend time with God and read our Bibles in, in each day. In fact, I believe ultimately that among all of the reasons that we may come up with and actually have in front of us and think are the reasons, all those are reasons eventually come down to just one. And I think we're going to handle that one today. We're going to have to deal. We're going to deal with it face on. But before I go forward, I want to say to you, what I'm about to say could sound like it has condemnation in it. And I want to ask you to trust me. There is no condemnation in my heart. And trust God even more that none of this has any condemnation from God. In fact, the opposite is true. My hope, and I believe God's hope is, rather than condemnation, there is the most wonderful wonderful invitation into relationship with Him that we could ever have. And so I'm just going to ask that we put aside our defenses and that we listen by the power of the Spirit and we let Him teach us and take us 
where he ultimately always wants to take us, and that is to him. Yes. Isaiah 48, in fact, says this and reveals the heart of God, 48, 17, and 18. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. Your righteousness, like the waves of the sea. That's the heart of God, and that describes the invitation that I believe God has for us all here this morning. God is inviting us, just come to me. Just abide in me. Just let me abide in you, and you won't believe what I have for you. So I believe all the reasons for not reading our Bibles ultimately come down to just the one overriding reason for that. And let me illustrate it with a true story. It's one with one of the guys that I was, in fact, meeting with. And after a time, I said the very thing that I said before, and we stopped meeting. A year later, he came up to me. His name was Mike, and Mike came up to me, and he said, Hey, Steve, I'd like to start meeting again. It was a year later, and I said, Mike, that'd be great. Are you meeting with God? Are you reading your Bible? No, but I really, really want to. I said, you really, really want to? He said, yes, I really do. Every morning, I really want to read the Bible, but you're not. No, walk me through your morning, Mike. And he says, here's what happens. I get up, I get my Bible out, I put it on the kitchen table, I sit down to have my time, and then I go to the uh, mailbox and I get the newspaper and I end up in the sports page. But I really want to read my Bible, Steve. I said, so... What you're telling me is that all the while that you're reading that sports page, your heart is pulling you to the scriptures, but somehow you just can't get to them. And he said, no, that's not what's going on. I said, that's not what's going on. You're going to what you believe will benefit you the most. And until you recognize that right now in your life, This is not condemnation, Mike. This is a reality that right now in your life, you actually believe the sports page will give you more in your life and intersect your life and give you more in relationship with you, with others, than the Bible does. Nothing is going to change. To this day, I don't know if he has established a time with God Mm -hmm. or the time with the Bible. You see, I'll contend that if you are not spending time with God, if you're not reading your Bible, if I'm not spending time and I'm not reading my Bible, it ultimately boils down to one overriding reason, and that is that we don't think it will be worth it. I know that sounds harsh. Ouch. It sounds mean. But to look deeper to any other reason for not reading the Bible, I think will ultimately lead us to this truth. When we say we don't have time, That is never actually true. We all have the same amount of time. What we have really said is that we believe that time will benefit better someplace else and doing something else. That's just a truth. And you know what? It's okay. (laughs) It's okay to say that. I say things out loud to God all the time. Down in my quiet place, I say things out loud to God. And I remember when I told God this truth. The truth is, I'm not coming because I believe that other things are more important. And he was like, okay. Guess what? I knew that. And I really did feel this permission and relief to be able to say, okay, now we know what the real disconnect is. And now we can work on that. 
And so I feel like by owning it, it's not condemnation, it's permission giving to say, okay, Lord, then renew my mind and my heart to the fact that you are the best way I can spend my time. Now, hear me loud and clear. Many of these other ways of spending time are actually very good and critical to our lives. They are indeed very important. Taking care of a baby, a project that is due at work, taking kids to school, catching up on much needed sleep, catching up on chores around the house, cleaning up the kitchen for your wife, taking in care and connecting with a friend. All of those are indeed actually really important life roles and life things that we have to do. But I believe it points to the real question that all of us eventually have to answer in our lives. It all boils down to a question. Is spending time with God a ritual, a religious activity, a task, something we owe Him, or is it essential to every other part of our life? Until we answer that question, I would contend we probably won't spend consistent time with God. If we believe that reading our Bibles would make every one of those other important things better, wouldn't we do it? That's the question we all have to deal with. I want to share something that really revealed to me in my own journey in establishing my own time with encountering God through the Bible. As I began to establish my time, I noticed something. I was doing it during the weekdays, but I did not do it on the weekends, and I did not do it on vacation. And I'm a question asker, and I'm like, okay, what does that tell me? Well, what it revealed to me is that when I felt like I really needed God, I went to Him. And so during the week, I absolutely needed God. There's tons of things going on. I got all these scheduling conflicts. I got kids going this way. I got wives going this way. I got all this. I got business problems. Of course, God, I'm coming to you. But weekends? Vacation? I got that. Well, I'll contend to you, I say to you and confess to you, the biggest thing that changed my meeting with God is realizing I don't got that. I don't got anything. In fact, I would encourage you, we're a fairly young church, but if we talk to Barb, if we talk to Mark Hines, we talk to Bill Freegie, we talk to the two Jacks, we talk to guys that are a little bit farther around the generations, I'll bet you if you ask them, they're going to tell you this. What I've discovered in my life is more and more how much I don't got that. And so those men are diving into the scriptures because they are fully convinced. We are fully convinced. We don't got that. And so now weekends, vacations, I am in the word because I now know I don't got that. And that's got to be one of the changes that's going to happen in our life. We don't get anything. We We need him for everything. And I say this before. I've said it and I really, really mean it. I have come to actually believe that I can make better scrambled eggs if I spend time with God first. And I know you may sound that's crazy, but I am telling you, I believe He intersects and impacts every single thing that I do in my life. And I've seen it happen. And so I don't want to do anything without Him. So we in our humanness and with Satan's constant encouragement believe that the time in reading our Bible is actually optional. When we can do it when we're rested, when it works into our schedules, when we have a crisis, when we have a need. Jesus made it clear, abiding in Him and Him abiding with us is not 
is not optional. It's oxygen for yes. every other part of our life. Amen. And one of the things that have to change is Jesus said, man, apart from me, you have no life. Yeah. Not that you have some life, not that your life's okay, but it's not quite great. Apart from me, you have no life. Jesus is making it really clear. I am oxygen for every other part of your life. Breathe oxygen into any fire and watch how it roars. And that's what we got to be believing. Here's what I believe is fact. If you are going to meet with God and stay with God, you're going to have to believe two things about meeting with God. The first is that you actually can meet with God. You have to believe that if actually you set across the time, He is actually available to you. That has to be happened or else why would you go meet with them? So that's the first thing. The second thing is you're going to have to grow in your belief that meeting with God is not an option in your life. It is actually oxygen for your life. Mm -hmm. So we at Antioch spend a, have spent a lot of time honing down on the scriptures and making it really clear that God is always available to us, always waiting to meet with us, and always wanting to speak with us. So for today, we're going to focus on number two. And that is, encountering God through the Bible is not an option. It is actually oxygen for our lives. So, last week, Andrew walked us through the meditative, what's called the meditative narrative of the Bible. That means just the grand story that exists from start to the finish of the scriptures. And Andrew did a great job of walking us through all those different books and finding out that in the end, there is one grand story. There is the story of our creation. There is the story of our rebellion against God. There is God's continuous pursuit of us. And then his redemption of us through his son, Jesus, always chasing us, always coming after us, always wanting us, always wanting to redeem us. And that Andrew did a great job of showing that all through the Bible, it's one big story, every book, start to finish. And so it's exciting to dig in and read that. This week, we're going to look at the Bible itself. When the content team met together and we first designed this message, it was supposed to be clearly about or solely about construction of the Bible. We were going to talk about how do we get the canon. We were going to talk about historical evidence, archaeological evidence, prophetic evidence, and all these other things that have been studied. And as this message developed, it became really clear to us that God had something way, way more important that he wanted us to focus on. So we're going to start with some of the details of the construction of the Bible because it is, I think, very interesting and important. But I want to promise you, as cool as all these construction parts are, mm -hmm. there's something way better. The way better part of this message is the second part. So stick around with me until we get to that part, okay? So... But the title of the message this week is, Can I Trust My Bible? When I first became a Christian, I remember reading a statement, a question that a man asked as I was driving down the road, and it made a bunch of sense to me. He said, how much can my heart rejoice in something that my mind really rejects? And I realized that was holding me up. My heart wanted to rejoice in everything that this said, but my mind was saying it can't be true. It's not true. It's not backed up. And so my rejoicing is stopped actually by my mind, right? So what he was saying is that you have to push through that. If you believe that this is written by a bunch of guys that got together and compared notes and created a story with a religious agenda, just fooling out one of the religions of the time, then why are you going to read this? Yeah. Yeah. But here's the fact. This is not a bunch of stories put together by a group of guys sitting together about a religious, religious agenda. 
40 different authors written across 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents. Now, those facts alone are not as amazing until you look and say what makes them amazing is you take all these guys that couldn't compare notes, you take all these generations, centuries that separated them, you take continents and languages that separate them, and yet what Andrew showed us is they all tell one continuous, constant, um, consistent story. That's what makes this the most miraculous document that has ever been compiled in the history of man. And that's just a fact. So, how accurate is it? Ancient literature is always affirmed by the number of manuscripts that we have to support its existence and how accurate those uh, manuscripts are. The number of manuscripts and the accuracy of manuscripts is what we register all historical and all documents of antiquity by. There is no piece of literature that comes even close to the manuscript support of the Bible. There are more than 25,000 complete manuscript copies of the New Testament. The next closest to that is Homer, which we're all, uh, we've all heard of at least. Homer's Iliad, that has only 643. All the others less than that, most of them are less than 100. The Bible has 25,000. It is unlike any other document. Another interesting fact that testifies to the accuracy of the Bible. I thought this was really cool. I hope you guys do too. So if we just quote our early Christian fathers, if we just grab their quotes, quotes that we can take from writings in the first 150 to 200 years after Jesus was written, we could recreate all but 11 verses of the New Testament. So what that confirms to you is that this was being widely circulated and it was widely accurate because we can take this quote from here, this quote from there, this quote from there, and it matches our New Testament as it is today. Up to 11 verses we could reconstruct. I just threw that fact in for free because that's, yeah. Some of the other key observations or consideration. The average gap also testifies to the accuracy of the Bible. So how long from the event, obviously they didn't have printing presses, how long from the event is it till we have the first manuscript that we can compare and then start to compare notes and say how accurate it was? So most of the other books, it's over 1,000 years between the time that it happened and when the, the manuscript that we have is 1,000 years from the time that it happened. In the Bible, it is less than 100 years in some of cases. It is less than 200 years for about 90% of the New Testament. And it's less than 250 years for the entire New Testament. There is no other document that even comes close to the number of manuscripts or the closeness and the proximity in age and time like the Bible does. And just another fun fact for me, a full copy of the book of Isaiah was just discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls, 1947. So that scroll, is a thousand years older than what we had, a, a thousand years difference between the previous Isaiah document that we had. When they compared the two, they are, they are completely accurate within 95% of the text, and the other 5% is easily, it's a, it's a slips of the pen, and, um, I'm sorry, difference in, or variations in spelling. Wow. So how cool. I just think that's cool. <laughs> Manuscript support for the Bible is un paralleled. There's nothing like it. And so that's cool. But it's not even close to the most amazing thing about the Bible. 
as cool as that is, it's not even close mm. to be the most amazing thing about the Bible. See, then there's prophecies written centuries earlier and recorded in the Old Testament, like by pro prophets Isaiah, that then later came true in the person of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. Like he would be born in Bethlehem. Like he would be betrayed by a friend. Like he would be pierced. Like that he would have no broken bones. Even though three men were crucified, two had their legs broken to kill them, Jesus' legs were left unbroken to fulfill a prophecy. These prophecies number in the hundreds, hundreds. The mathematical, believe it or not, somebody calculated this. What is the mathematical probability of these prophecies by chance coming true in any one person through the New Testament? And the mathematicians, a bunch of them got together and they calculated. And they said to give us some kind of scope, because they can just throw numbers at this and that doesn't mean anything. Here's the scope. They said it is the same chance that a giant tornado would go through a junkyard and come out the other side with a fully operational 747. How do you calculate that? Don't have a clue. <laughs> Just going with what the math dudes say. So that's so cool. That's so cool for God to provide, but it's not the strongest testimony yet of the Bible. There's something even more powerful than that. See, archaeology continues to confirm the accuracy of the Bible and the legitimacy as a valid historical document. Let me quote from a non-Christian source to help make this point. U.S. News and World Reports, not at, by any means a Christian organization, did a long article on the Bible. Title of the article is, Is the Bible True? Question mark. <laughs> Subtitle, New Discoveries Offer Surprising Support for Key Moments in the Scriptures. The article goes on to highlight and make this point that there was a time in history where they had landed and said that there were major, there were some major things in the in um, the scriptures that had not been proven by archaeology and therefore were considered legend. One of them, one of our main characters, David. Up until just a short time ago, just a few decades ago, David was considered to be a legend because they had never found archaeological evidence to support such a giant kingdom, such an amazing king. So David was put off as a legend. U.S. News and Report says, but since that time, now major archaeological finds have since proven the existence of a great kingdom and a great dynasty under King David. So that's been proven. The tomb of Joseph Caiaphas, the high priest who actually sat over Jesus' trial, has been found and affirmed by archaeology, discovering confirming that Pilate was indeed the governor of the uh, province where Jesus was crucified, have been found. Here's what USA, uh, US News and World Report ends up saying. Just a couple of quotes. They're pretty amazing to me from a not what I would call a friendly source. The past four decades, spectacular discoveries have produced a wealth of data illuminating the story of Jesus and the birth of Christianity. The picture that has, overall, that has emerged overall closely matches the historical backdrop of all the Gospels. Mm and ends with this quote, in the extraordinary ways, archaeology has affirmed the historical core of the Old and New Testament. U.S. News and World Report. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that by any measure, this is the most unique piece of literature that mankind has ever known. There's nothing that even come close to it. And it has tons of proof behind it on how accurate it is and tons of things that stand behind it to say, this is the Word of God. Mm -hmm. No document has been studied more or attacked more yeah. than this document. And yet in a thousand years, nobody has been able to disprove it, even though so many have tried. Wow. So good. 
you don't have to know all this. <laughs> you don't. I don't know all this. I don't know half of the work that has gone into proving and studying these scriptures. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of pages. But you know what? I'm really glad to know there's somebody that has. Like that just gives me, I'm glad. It's like when I have apologists that can answer questions that I can't. I don't need to be able to, refute, to, to repeat the argument. I'm just glad that somebody's looked at it. You can know this Bible has been confirmed by unbelievers and believers alike as unique. I cannot move, prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the Word of God, but I can testify to this. You are standing on something that has intellectual backing, it has archaeological evidence, and it has miraculous behind it. And sometimes we need to look at somebody and say, what do you have? <laughs> People want to walk around and say, I believe this, I think this. I go, well, I got a document that's thousands of years old. I got all this. What are you basing your opinions on? We can be confident, no shame in standing on the fact that we stand on this as the Word of God. So all that I've covered so far, it will not give you faith. Mm. Believe me, I tried. I tried getting by faith by study. Mm. I tried getting faith by facts. It won't do it for you. I would contend that all that I've covered for, so far is really for one major purpose. It tears down hurdles. Yeah. You see, I just had some false boundaries that had built up of things that I didn't know, and that kept me from fully rejoicing in it because in my mind was whispering to me, oh, that can't be, oh, that can't be. Now, I was not informed, but all this can do is that by knowing that this has been sliced and, uh, sliced and studied and found to be the most amazing piece of literature, it can remove any hurdle you have that you can now move into the full miracle of the scriptures. Yeah. See, now, like I said in the beginning, my heart now rejoices in this in a way that is full and complete. I have no boundaries left. I don't have all the answers, but my boundaries have been torn down. And some of you don't have any. Some of you may. All I'm saying, it's there. Like I said, it's not foundational, but sometimes it may t uh, tear down a few uh, hurdles that you might have. So, um, it's so cool that God gave us these foundation, relevant, intellectual backup to the Bible, but still, after all that, none of it is the strongest testimony. None of it is the strongest testimony that you can trust your Bible. You see, the best thing about the Bible, the biggest miracle about the Bible is that it's alive. It's alive. And that as you interact with it, you interact with God. Mm -hmm. As you interact with the Bible, you interact with God Himself. That's the biggest yes. miracle of yes. the Bible. In Hebrews 4.12, it's the sword that divides between joint and spirit. It's able to judge every intention of every heart. In 2 Timothy, it's confirmed as profitable for teaching, correcting, training, and, and raising up in righteousness. In John 5, it confirms that the Word of God testifies to the fullness of truth and to our very salvation. In Romans 8, it is God actually coming near to you. In Colossians 2, it keeps us from being carried away by false philosophies, traditions, and silly principles of the flesh. In 1 Corinthians, it's the mysteries of God, which simply means there are things that God only knows and He wants to share them with us. In Luke 24, it's what sets our heart on fire as we study it and as we read it. In Habakkuk 2, it allows the child of God to run in this lifetime. And in John 6, it's spirit and it's life. The Bible's alive. 
The strongest testimony of the Bible will always be your own encounter with the Bible and with God. Nothing will ever replace that. Let me walk through some of the encounters waiting for us in the Bible. Encounters that we will only find in the Bible. We as humans spend so much time talking and debating about how we came to be. We sometimes get obsessed with how did we come to be? And, and we look and we, we say, do we, it originate out of a Big Bang theory? Is it evolution? Is it theistic evolution? Is it creation? But if it was creation, is it young earth creation? Is it old earth creation? Or about the other 15 variations of Christian creation theory? I was once given the topic to preach on, on creation. And I read literally hundreds of pages and yet I hadn't even begun to scratch the surface as Sunday was beginning to knock on my door. I was like, I don't know what to do. So I went to the Bible. And you know what I discovered? The Bible doesn't spend much time on the how of creation. The Bible moves past the how pretty quickly and talks about the who of creation. The who of God is and the who of who we are. You see, Genesis was never written as a defense against biological evolution. It wasn't. And I sometimes wish we'd stop doing that. I wish we'd stand on the reason that it was written. See, Genesis and God moves right past the part about the creation and just says, that's just the fact. And he moves to the important part of this. You have a creator. You are created, you're a created being, and you have a creator. He was speaking to the fact that every civilization has always testified to, to every generation has always testified, to every people group. We have an awareness about something above ourselves and all we want to know is what is it and how does it define us and what does it change in us. And God says in his Bible, I'm going right past the how. I'm just going to tell you because once I realize I have a creator, actually I don't really care about that much about the how. Yeah. I want to talk about who he is. Yes. I want to talk about what's he like. Yes. I want to talk about what does he know about me? Yeah. What can I find out that my creator can tell me that I won't find out from any other place? Yeah. And that's exactly what the Bible does as you encounter God through the Bible. You learn about your creator and you learn things about yourself that only the one who created can tell you. That's the miracle. Of the scriptures. As you discover your creator and yourself through the Bible, it will prove itself beyond, far, far beyond the studying of the journey from Hebrew to the Greek Septuagint to the Latin Vulgate to the King James English. That's all really, really interesting and it is cool, but getting into the who is going to change your life a whole lot more. So, as you encounter the Bible, you will discover not only that it reveals the Creator, but it also reveals you, His creation. Mm -hmm. You will be conformed in your heart that you are an image bearer of God. And that changes everything. Mm -hmm. The meaning and purpose that you are known. Only the Bible can and will tell you things about yourself even you don't know. Mm -hmm. Even you don't know. And that's so fun. Let me give you just an example of some things that, um, that I encountered through the scriptures that informed and actually changed my life and informed me about me. I was 100% in my 20s dependent on money, 100% chasing money. I feared not having enough money. I used money as my security. I used money for my reputation, for my prestige, for my success, for my safety. Everything was about money. 
I had strong success even in my late 20s. I had success in four different times on my journey. I set income levels saying that if I could only reach this much income, then I would be safe. Then I would be content. Then I would have enough. Four different times I set those boundaries. Four different times I hit those boundaries and all, nothing had changed in any one of those times. The last time I hit that boundary, I remember hearing it from, it was at the end of the year in December. I got the call. I knew what the number. I once again had blown by the number that I thought. I got in my sports car. I was driving to my club. And on the way, I found myself in tears once again. Because nothing had changed again. And I looked out and I was like, what is the number? I actually started to pull on the highway to an entrance ramp. It was actually over on I-69 South. And there was a car pulled over on the side of the road, broken down, old beat up car. And I decided, I don't know why God led me, that even in my distress, I decided I was going to help this guy. So I pulled over, pulled up in front of the guy, um, stopped out, walked out to the window. The, the windows were kind of frozen over, knocked on the front window, driver's side window, and the back window rolled down. And in the back there was a guy wrapped in a coat and a scarf and a hat and gloves reading his Bible. My first reaction was, you're an idiot because no one knows you're here. You can't even see inside the windows anymore because they're frosted over. You're going to freeze to death. Anyway, I did say, how can I help you? And he told me, he said, I got this old car. And he said, sometimes when I make a turn, it shorts out the electrical system. He said, if you'll just help me jump my battery, I'll be on my way home. So I turned my car around, started to hook it up. And this man just started to tell me the story of his life. He talked about what was going to happen when he got home, how he was going to play with his kids, his favorite meal that his wife was going to have for him, the joy that he had at work. I found myself hooking up these jumper cables and all I wanted to do was listen to him. I found myself yelling inside my head, why? Why are you so happy? You don't even have enough money to fix this old beat up car. How are you so certain that things are going to be okay? And to make a long story short, at the end of it, we ended up getting his, um, his car started. And I found myself honestly wanting to beg him not to go. I just found myself like, I wish it could go on. Because I was like, I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to leave. He got in his car and he drove away. And he rolled down his window and he said, God bless you, Steve. And I sat on the side of the road and I cried for 30 minutes. I knew as people were driving by, I've got my sports car on my way to club. And I've got that thinking, I got it going on. And I knew as he drove away, there wasn't one thing I had that he wanted. And I was sitting there going, I don't know what you have, but I'd give anything wow. yeah. to have what you have. Wow. All I wanted was more time to find out what he had. Yeah. And so at the end of that, as I drove away, I went and I knew the next day I went and I bought this Bible. Yeah. And this is the Bible that started my journey. And what happened when I read this? I came across this verse. It says, Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heaven. And I thought, that was me. That was me. It just kept climbing, and every time I went to touch it, it just flew a little higher. And I found myself remembering, thinking, this knows me. What else can it tell me? Mm. Yeah. What else can it save me from chasing? Wow. Mm -hmm. And that changed my journey. I knew that this knew me better than I knew me. Mm. And here's just some of what I learned. I was driven by lust 
only to find out that the Bible tells me all along that actually what I was chasing I could never find and what it was doing was actually destroying my soul and that I was like an ox being led to slaughter. I feared all the things. I had tons of fears and fear crippled me just like the Bible teaches that it says every fear will become your master. And I had 20 masters. And the Bible helped me get rid of those masters. Discernment. I felt I was pretty smart, pretty discerning. And then I found out over time, just like the Bible says, my wisdom failed me every time and God's wisdom never has failed me once. My own path, try harder. Just keep digging in and try harder. God's path, rest. Rest in me. And trust me. My power, it's inside myself. Bible told me the only true power comes from God. And here, Steve, I offer it to you freely. It was powerful. I make you this promise. You encounter the Bible, and I promise you that you will come to know that the Bible knows you better than you know you. You will encounter Him, and you will encounter you in a way that you never knew was possible. Everything else, everyone else, they're going to want to talk about your occupation. They're going to want to talk about your income. They're going to want to talk about your activities. They're going to want to talk about your body. They're going to want to talk about your talents. They're going to want to talk about your goals. The Bible's the only place that's going to talk to you about your identity. And your identity informs every other part of your life. Get your identity straight and nothing else can be taken from you. And only the Bible can tell you about your identity. Manuscript evidence, it's cool. It's important. But there's nothing compared to God's revelation to you and God's revelation of you. And that's what the Bible holds for you. As you encounter God through the Bible, you'll discover that the Word of God interacts with the Spirit of God. There's this interaction going on between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Ephesians 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing the knowledge of Him. And you find out there's this interaction going on between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And when you step in between that interaction, that's holiness. That's taking you to a place that nothing else can take you to. And there's power there. And there's peace there. And there's rest there like nothing you'll ever know. And that's why you can read this and I can read first chapter of John for literally the hundredth time and do it with excitement and anticipation because it's going to intersect my life differently than the last time I read it. Because this is not a static word, nor is it a piece of history. It is a living word. The Word of God joins me with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I am a wholly different being when I am joined with God. A wholly different being. A side note, Revelation. When you're reading this, don't expect to have a wow every time and therefore think that nothing is happening. I was talking to actually Jimmy Seibert when we were down in Waco, and Jimmy and I were talking about the difference between, the distance between sometimes our intake and the revelation becoming true and how many blessings we've missed because we mistimed the revelation. We think we read something, we go, oh, God didn't do anything, only to find out that if I'm asking you, Remember when we talked about hearing God and we said you have to shift from assuming you don't hear God to assuming you hear God and wait till it's taken away? 
Assume this is doing something with you. And I guarantee you, as you do this, you will look back and you will say, oh, he was working the whole time. You'll see that revelation come true. As a matter of fact, um, one of the interesting things that um, kind of brings this home is uh, a couple that recently started coming to Antioch actually came up to me and said that one of the strongest testimonies they had for Antioch, for our body, is the fact on how much I had changed over the years. They hadn't seen me in many years. <laughs> and, and, and at first you go, oh. <laughs> and then you go, yes. Of course. I love the couple that send that to me. I live on that comment now because sometimes I'm wondering, am I changing? Is anything happening? And they just walked up to me and said, oh, it's happening. I was like, praise God. I love them for that. I wrote that down. I hold on to that. Some of you are wondering if it's happening. If you are, will you come and ask me? Because I can tell you, for most of you, I'll be able to tell you a point in time where I saw it happening. I'm walking around this church all the time watching it happen. And if you need affirmation that it's happening, I want you to come. I'll buy you lunch and I'll tell you. Because it's happening and it's happening in you. And I mean that. A lot of people wonder why I still carry this huge Bible around. But it's the Bible I bought after the day that I met that guy on the side of the road. It's had to be rebound a couple of times, and it probably needs to be rebound again because the maps are starting to come out of it. But the reason I hold this Bible is that it's part of my testimony. After I met that guy, I bought this Bible, and now I have these notes all through it. And they're way more than notes. They're journey markers. They're milestones. These are the testimony. Oh, I met with God here and there and there and there. No one can take that from me. And that's why I still carry this Bible. It is my journey and it's marked down. Your own journey is the strongest proof you will ever have that you can trust the Bible. I'm building my testimony. I'm still building my testimony. God is inviting each of you, each of us. Will you build yours? There's no other way to encounter Him except through His living Word, and I promise you, I promise you, it's alive, it's trustworthy, and if you let it, it will prove beyond the shadow of a doubt this is the Word of God. We want to thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can check us out on social media at Antioch Indy or go to our website, www.antiochindy.com.